You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am Stephen Igo, your host of the podcast and the publisher of hoistthecolors.net, bringing you another HTC pod as we're talking about another commitment from the transfer portal from East Carolina's offensive line in the addition of Justin Red from Norfolk State. We're going to dive into that addition. I also want to talk some pirate hoops as ECU is currently on a six-game slide, and they have fallen back to 500 for the first time this season. So, lots to discuss in this short episode, so let's dive right into it. Of course, we had a podcast earlier in the weekend about the addition of Ben Johnson, or late last week. We've also already covered this, the news of C.J. Johnson's suspension, what that means for the team, so check out those two podcasts as well on the Hoist of Colors Network on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But wanted to touch on the addition of Justin Red, and this kind of puts a bow, although you never want to say offensive line recruiting is done, but I think this kind of puts a bow on the transfer portal offensive lineman in terms of the 2022 ECU football season and the additions going into that year. Justin Red is the third graduate uh, transfer offensive lineman. He joins Ben Johnson from Marist who we talked about late last week, and also Parker Moore from West Virginia. Moore has three years of eligibility remaining. He is a former starting offensive tackle at West Virginia. He's already in school, and he will go through spring practice. Johnson and Red will be in this summer. Johnson has two years of eligibility remaining. Red was kind of a late addition on the recruiting board in terms of being a target. He only has one year of eligibility remaining. And in the case of a one-year guy, basically a one-year rental, one-semester rental, you really only want to take a guy like that if he's going to be a potential impact player. And the Pirates feel that Justin Red is that guy. Of course, coming from FCS, making that leap to the FBS level, it's never a sure thing. But anytime you have a guy who performs at a consistently high level at the FCS level, typically, especially for, for the offensive line, they translate pretty well as they make them move up. You see a lot of Power 5 programs or, you know, whatever you want to call them, uh, SEC, ACC programs take these types of players every year. ECU ends up getting a couple guys in Johnson and Red who I think will be able to make that transition pretty well. And, of course, there'll be an adjustment period. But with Red, size is not an issue. We're talking about a guy who weighed in at 6'4", 325 pounds during his ECU official visit a couple of weekends ago. Uh, so size not the issue, athleticism not the issue, watching his tape. He's got very good feet for a size, or a player of his stature. Um, gets to the second level pretty pretty good. He can move people off the line of scrimmage. So I, I think he definitely brings some immediate impact potential to ECU's offensive line. You look at last year for Norfolk State, he not only was the MEAC Offensive Lineman of the Year in the conference for the Spartans, but he was also a second-team All-American pick by the Associated Press. He was also an All-American pick, I think, as a fourth-teamer by Phil Steele Magazine. So we're talking about an All-American at the level below FBS football at the FCS level. 
But typically those guys, I mean, you you have good players everywhere. FCS, FBS, Division Two, whatever. You know, if you're an All-American player, you're pretty damn good. And Justin Red has some really good talent. Now, you know, looking at his tape, I do think, unfortunately, it'd be better if he could get in for spring ball and really go through the strength program at ECU. But I still think there's a chance for him, if he's able to get in early in the summer, to kind of reshape his frame a little bit. I think he can get a little more muscular and add to his power. Um, but he's going to be a big guy either way. He's going to be able to move some guys off the line of scrimmage, and I think he will fit in really well with uh, the Pirates running attack, which utilizes you know some zone scheme and power run scheme as well. So interested to see how he fits in. He'll have to learn the, the scheme upon entry in the in the summer under Steve Shankweiler. But the Pirates had a pretty good in here with Latrell Scott, the tight ends coach, former head coach at Norfolk State. He's now in his second season at ECU so of course Scott recruited Red to Norfolk State originally he kind of went from an under the radar player into an all-american caliber player at that level so looking forward to Justin Red's arrival to ECU as are the coaches and the players because as we've talked about ad nauseum the offensive line has been an issue now for several years for East Carolina and you lose three guys with starting experience in tackle Justin Chase and guard Sean Bailey and Fernando Fry. Well, what do you do? You replace those three guys with three guys. You replace them with a uh, former Big 12 starting offensive tackle and more. And then you bring in two guys from the FCS level who are all conference players who are projected to play inside. So you end up adding some transfers to kind of replace the experience you lost and if you're ECU, you return some significant contributors from last season, including mo- multiple guys, handful of guys with starting experience. And then you've got several guys in your program who are also developing. So this almost buys ECU another year or two in terms of upperclassmen, offensive linemen that they bring in through the portal, combine that with the guys that are returning, and then you hope that gives some of the younger guys in the program a little bit more time to develop as they continue to grow and mature in the program. You don't want to have to put any offensive linemen out in the field before they're ready because then you risk injury, you risk uh, you know, mental development growth being stunted, physical development growth being stunted. Those guys can really work on developing uh, the right way as uh, underclassmen. So with Justin Red coming in, here are some of the numbers from Pro Football Focus. Uh, again, an analytics-based site that does its form of player grading over the last decade or so, especially the last few years, they've gotten really popular as a lot of uh, college teams and professional teams have subscribed to their data. Uh, we, too, subscribe to their data on a little bit more of a preliminary outlook, but we still get a fair look at really all college grades. Again, some of it is subjective. They don't know exactly what each play call is, what each player's responsibilities are. But for the most part, I mean, you can watch film and be able to tell what a guy's responsibility is nine times out of ten. So Justin Red, again, 0 to 100 is what they grade on on a numerical scale. 60 is average. Anything above that is considered above average. We talked about it, ECU's offensive line last year on the Ben Johnson podcast, graded out pretty below average. Outside of a few spots, outside of a few spots, Justin Red this past season earned a 68.8 offensive grade, which is an above-average offensive grade, a 70.2 pass-blocking grade, which is well above average, and a 69.3 run-blocking grade. 
Uh, he was whistled for six penalties, which is something the Pirates would like to see him correct. Uh, but again, graded out above average in, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven consecutive games and seven of ten games overall that he played in this past season for the Spartans. So um, really good uh, pass blocker, especially early in the year. The last two games of the year versus Delaware State and South Carolina State, for whatever reason, struggled a bit in pass pro, but definitely has the potential to be a really good pass pro. Um, forgot to say he played right guard for 714 snaps. Essentially all of his snaps were at right guard, and the Pirates are replacing uh, one of their guards. Again, we talked about earlier, Sean Bailey and Fernando Fried kind of split time at guard, so they're both gone. And so you would kind of figure that Justin Red would slot in at right guard upon his entry at ECU. Again, he's going to have to earn his spot, but Justin, more than likely, I would consider a favorite to potentially win a starting position if he comes in and works for it. Uh, ECU also returns Avery Jones, starting center. In 2020, he was your starting left guard. He slid inside the center last year. Uh, really learned on the fly there, but by the end of the year, was playing pretty good ball. Played through an injury for most of the year, but again, did a solid job. Nashad Strother is a guy who's played tackle and guard. 2020, he was your starting left tackle. This past season, he started at guard. Uh, and so Strother and the addition of Ben Johnson give you two guys with starting experience at the college level uh, who will probably compete for starting spots as well. And just looking at the rest of the depth chart on the interior, Isaiah Foote is entering his red shirt sophomore year. He's been in the program now uh, a couple of years, and this coaching staff is very high on his development. Hampton Urgles, another guy who has been on the depth chart the past few years as a former walk-on who's developed into a potential scholarship offensive lineman. So you start to feel pretty good about the interior offensive line. You've got Keziah Everett, Richard Pierce, and a couple other guys in the program as well that have developed there. But the addition of Justin Red kind of gives you that real physical, imposing uh, interior offensive lineman. I think that'll really make an impact for the Pirates and, and at the least push the competition. And he, he's going to come in motivated too. Look, he said he wants to have NFL aspirations or he has NFL aspirations. Well, the way to get there is to come into the American Athletic Conference, start, dominate, show you can compete at the highest level possible in college football. There have been plenty AAC offensive linemen that have been drafted over the last handful of years, including Deontay Smith from ECU, who's about to go play in a Super Bowl in his rookie season for the Bengals. But with the addition of Johnson and Red, I just feel like the offensive line, you know, the, the, the returning depth was going to be okay, but I think you add two guys with experience plus the addition of more, and you all of a sudden look at this offensive line and you feel much better about it. Um, you know, at the tackle spot, again, Moore has three years of eligibility left. You're also bringing back Noah Henderson, who played last year through a back injury. Um, hopefully, with some more off time, this, this offseason should be even able to play at a higher level. But all things considered, played at a really good level last year, considering everything he was going through. Then you've got two guys coming off injury, and Bailey Malavik and Rob Vanderlin, who showed a lot of promise last season as upperclassmen. Malavik is a former Juco kid who's been in the program a number of years now. Unfortunately, towards ACL just a few plays into the season after a phenomenal offseason. So you hope that he's able to get back to at least close to what he was after gaining some weight and really impressing the coaches. Uh, he was slotted to be the starting tackle going into last year. He'll be back by the start of the year. 
And then Rob Vanderlin's Oregon State transfer, who played some tackle last year before also going down to a knee injury. So both those guys will be rehabbing through some of this offseason, but they provide uh, greater depth at tackle behind Noah Henderson and also behind uh, Parker Moore. You also bring back Walt Stribling, who's a third-year player who's played some and is still developing. Hampton Ergel can play tackle. We talked about it earlier. Nashad Strother can play tackle. Ben Johnson has FCS experience, extensive experience to tackle. So you start to look at this offensive line, and you, if you're Steve Shankweiler and Johnny Kirkpatrick, you have quite a, quite a number of chess pieces here you can move around because guys are going to get injured, and you're going to have to always play guys at different positions or have that possibility at the least. We've seen it the last few years guys have been moved around, whether it be Strother from tackle to guard, Avery Jones from guard to center, uh, Justin Chase, who's gone now, he played guard and tackle. So it's just always good to have options. And with the additions from the portal and the guys coming back, it feels like ECU finally has some legitimate options on the offensive line for the first time in quite some time. Again, we'll see. You know, the jury's out on a couple of things here. A, how does, you know, how does Moore transition from West Virginia to ECU? How did the FCS guys transition going up a level injury wise how did Noah Henderson Bailey Malavik Rob Vanderlyn do does Avery Jones improve at center you know do, do the younger guys like Isaiah Foote Hampton Ergel Richard Pierce do they continue to progress so you have some questions here but you've also got enough bodies and enough talent I think and size up front to where hey if you miss on a few of these deals or you have a few injuries I don't think it's the end of the world but uh, the Pirates have been snake bit on the offensive line for a few years now, and I think they're trying to hedge their bets as much as possible with some really solid additions. And they've done a really good job in the transfer portal with the addition, most notably of late, with the addition of Justin Red, an All-American from Norfolk State. So excited about him, um, excited about what he can bring to the offensive line. Of course, you have all this happening with the offensive front, And now you start to look around, you feel really good about the offense, but with the suspension of C.J. Johnson and definitely the loss of Tyler Sneed, you start to wonder, hey, now we get the offensive line figured out, and all of a sudden you've got a problem at receiver, at least in terms of proven production. So I'm sure we'll talk a lot about receivers, who ECU is going after in the portal, some of the young guys in the coming weeks, coming months, especially once spring ball gets here, which will only be a matter of time. So, um there's your brief look at the offensive line, how it seems now with the addition of Justin Red, and, and again, we'll dive more into the personnel of this football team as this offseason continues. All right, on the other side, I want to quickly touch on some basketball struggles. The Pirates have lost six in a row. What does that mean for Joe Dooley's future, and what does it mean for the Pirates the rest of the season? Can they turn it around? We'll take a look at the future schedule, and we'll be back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. 
a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast, and we've got to talk about East Carolina basketball, and I know it's as frustrating a topic as anything for Pirate fans, especially those that follow the program closely. If you're a casual observer of ECU basketball, I know what you're thinking right now. Let's cut the program. Why do we even worry about ECU basketball, etc., etc.? But, you know, I've always felt ECU, especially now that they're investing legitimate money into the program, should be more competitive than they are. And there are still all sorts of issues, especially compared to what they face in the American Athletic Conference. And we'll maybe get into some of that, especially as the season unwinds and Joe Dooley's future. We see what happens there. But this team right now is, I mean, they're lost. ECU fell on Saturday at Tulane, 86-66. to They weren't competitive. They were pretty lifeless, especially early. With several uh, experienced players obviously out with Tremont Robinson, J.J. Miles, and Brandon Suggs, sideline. That's three third-year guys that should be in your starting lineup that weren't sidelined. So of course, you know, that you have to you have to realize what that means. That is a significant blow. And you have to realize that. But at the same time, the rest of your team just can't go out there and and just play soft and, and not close out defensively, not rebound, not guard, look like a days ago on offense. I mean it was just I was glad to see the freshmen play even though they were probably somewhat overwhelmed. You know, they deserve to play after what we saw early in that game. And it was it was just uncompetitive basketball. And Tulane ends up winning easily, 86-66. Look, it didn't help they hit a barrage of three-pointers, but it also didn't help that EC was leaving those guys wide open. Um, but, you know, the result wasn't a huge shock. The Pirates have now lost six in a row. The Temple game at home was pretty lifeless as well. And that sent a very bad message, I think, to the fan base. That was the game where ECU was actually a one-point underdog in. Very winnable home game. You've lost four in a row. You really need to come out and play well in that basketball game. And, and the Pirates, without Brandon Suggs, but other than that, relatively healthy. J.J. Miles playing through something at the time. But it was just a, a quite honestly, frustrating performance on your home floor. You know, you really want to get in and to defend your home court mode, backs against the wall mode, and, and it just seemed like ECU was lifeless. I and mean, I hate to keep using that term, but that's that's the best way I can I can sum up what we've seen over this stretch. And you hate to see it happen. It really started with that UCF collapse, the 20-point blown lead uh, back in early January. And, of course, that was the game that started the six-game losing streak. At the time, ECU was 11 and 5, 2 and 2 in conference play, had momentum. Menjis was buzzing that day and then the collapse happened and the program hasn't recovered since. It's just been you know, it, it just feels like the program is snake bitten between the injuries and and the bad luck, but also the guys just seem to have their confidence zapped. I don't know if if the coaching staff has lost the team or what, but it certainly feels that way when you're watching the guys just kind of at times 
not close out, not defend, not play as hard as they should. And I don't know. It's it's tough to put your finger on. I've asked Joe Dooley about it. I don't think Joe Dooley forgot how to coach overnight. I don't think Joe Dooley forgot how to, you know, push his players to play the best overnight. I mean, he's a very successful coach. He's been a great assistant. Uh, he went to five straight postseasons at Florida Gulf Coast. He went to two NCAA tournaments, two NITs, a CIT in five years. He compiled a 114-58 record in five years at Florida Gulf Coast. And, yeah, that's a good job in a relatively easy conference compared to the American. But it just this program has not been able to make any progress in the in the American. And that's that's been the most disappointing thing. The Pirates now are 2-8 and eight in conference play. ESPN, uh, the Basketball Power Index, gives the Pirates a chance or favors ECU in two of the final seven games of the season. If it were to play out that way, that would have ECU finish just 13-16 and 16 and 4-13 and 13 in conference play. And it's just not enough progress, unfortunately. ECU went two and eight in league play last year. They went five and thirteen in Dooley's second year, and three and fifteen in Dooley's first year. So they saw a little bit of an uptick in Dooley's second year, but in the last few years, of course, the COVID year was not easy. But you know, how much can you really use that as an excuse when everybody else had to deal with it? They just have not been able to progress at all in league play, and that's what you have to be measured on. And the Pirates haven't been good overall. They've been good in non-conference play, but still have, you know, the last three years, but still have not been anywhere near where they need to be in in league play. And I don't know, it's, you know, you have the side of the argument that says, if Joe Dooley can't do it, can anybody do it? And, you know, I've, I've questioned, I've asked the same question in the past, um, but, you know, it just feels like there's a disconnect. You know, I've heard dating back to last offseason there were problems with Dooley and some of the administration, and, and there just seemed to be a disconnect there. I don't know how much that's filtered down into the program. I do think it's highly unfortunate that Winston Tabs was not healthy this year, and they've also had other injuries. But I think it's fair to say in the transfer portal era, should ECU really have signed a freshman class of six freshmen when you probably could have gone out and signed three freshmen and then signed three more transfers to kind of hedge your bet in case Tabs was not able to get back back healthy, in case you had some injuries, um, in case J.J. Miles, who was a extra senior due to the COVID rule, was not able to either stay healthy or perform at a more consistent level. And So I think, too, that was a mistake um, by the coaching staff because these freshmen, while talented, just aren't ready to play right now. And they're not helping out the team in terms of immediate success. And you could say, yeah, they're playing and they're going to get long-term better. But, you know, you also risk them transferring out the end of the year with the way college basketball is now. And Dooley, unfortunately, doesn't have the time to sit here and continue to grow the program up in a slow fashion. He's in year four of his five-year deal. Uh, Again, the wins and losses just haven't quite been there for Dooley in his second tenure at ECU. Um, and it, it's a concern from that standpoint that the administration has a decision to make. And I tweeted this out the other day, but you look at Do- Joe Dooley's contract, which we acquired when he first got the job. And July 1st, 2022, later this year, he's due a $250,000 bonus. He's also set to make a million dollars in total salary in 2022 23. 
So that's $1.25 million that the Pirates owe him in year five. They could also, technically speaking, buy him out for $400,000. It reverts back to his base salary for how many years he has left on his contract, which would be the $400,000 he's owed in 2022-23. So you could conceivably save $800,000 by buying Joe Dooley out of his contract. And, you know, the reality is from a financial perspective, if ECU's ready to move on, that would seem to make sense. Now, the other side of it is if you if you want to give Dooley more time, you can't really allow him to go into a fifth year without a contract extension because then you can't recruit anybody. You're on a lame duck year, and that just doesn't work very well in college athletics. Everybody uses that as a recruiting tool against you. It's hard to hire a staff. It's hard to keep players underneath you. So ECU's got a decision to make one way or the other. The way it's trending, it makes you wonder which way this is going to go. And I think John Gilbert has a lot to think about. For the camp that says ECU will never win a basketball, doesn't it doesn't really matter who they hire. Well, look at Tulane. They have consistently struggled in basketball. They hire Ron Hunter. They went 0-18 in conference play before Ron Hunter was there. Three years later, they're now 7-4 and four in league play. Seven wins is a number ECU has never touched in the American Athletic Conference. And I, I'm sure that ECU is investing just as much in basketball, or close to it, as Tulane. And there are other examples out there. Look, I don't, I don't know why it hasn't worked with Joe Dooley, and maybe they will have a miraculous turnaround this year. Um, he works his ass off. He's got great connections in the business. Uh, I, I believe he's a damn good coach. I just, for whatever reason, there seems to be a disconnect. And if this continues, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see something happen at the end of the year. But um, so, yeah, that, that, that's where ECU basketball is. Seven games left. Again, there will be a lot of speculation as we play out the string here. 11 and 11 overall. Still a lot to play for. I mean, hell, if you go on the road Tuesday night and you win at Tulsa, all of a sudden, you feel much better. You get a road win, then you're coming back home, and then you face South Florida on the road, which is another winnable game. So there's still a lot to play for. Uh, unfortunately, it just seems like watching the team, they don't feel the same way. But, you know, that's why these, these coaches get paid so much money. They get paid to motivate the kids, to recruit the kids, and get them in a position to where they play the best. And right now, for whatever reason, just not working for, for Coach Dooley and his staff. And that's about the best way you can sum it up. So we'll see. Again, been a tough year, tough stretch for for Coach Dooley, and um, you know I would love to see him get it turned around, but we'll see what happens on Tuesday night at Tulsa. So, all right, that'll do it for the podcast. Again, just wanted to share some quick thoughts on the basketball situation. Also, update you on where football stands following the addition of Norfolk State transfer Justin Red. We'll have more content for you, as always, on hoistacolors.net this week. We are getting closer to ECU baseball as I record this on Sunday night. We are close to ECU baseball inside of two weeks, man, for the top 25 Pirates. They open their season on February 18th against Bryant. So, again, we'll bring you a season preview podcast at some point with predictions, prognostications, all that stuff. But for now, you've heard some basketball and some football talk. We'll talk to you next time on the Voice of Colors podcast. Thank you guys for listening.